Yo. Well, it's not often that I get to do a podcast sitting in a houseboat on the River Thames in London, which is where I find myself today with Simon Woodruff, who is the founder of Yo Sushi and Yo Everything. In 1997, Simon founded Yo Sushi, a conveyor belt sushi bar. The concept was to make eating a complete entertainment experience and featured, amongst other things, call buttons, robot drinks, trolleys, and Japanese TV. The first restaurant opened on London's Poland Street and became an overnight sensation. And today, it continues to expand both at home and abroad. Well known as a successful entrepreneur, Simon has created new Yo brands, including Yotel, the world's most revolutionary hotel that opened in 2007, Yo Home, which is Simon's reinvention of the city apartment, launched in September 2012, and Yo Zone, which is part spa, part cafe, part bar, and part nightclub, and is in development as we speak. Your amazingly rich and diverse career has been well documented in a series of interviews over the years, and you're often described as a serial entrepreneur. But my first question is really a simple one. When you started out, why did you decide to name it Yo? Yo. Well, I, had, um, I was down on my luck in 1995, looking around for something to do, unemployable. And um, I was in a restaurant in the West End of London, with a guy I knew from a TV business, a Japanese guy by the name of Toru Uhara. He was actually the producer of Japanese Top of the Pops, um, which in Japan is called Hit Studio Deluxe. There's not a lot of people know that. <laughs> and, um, and he said, what you should do is a conveyor belt sushi bar. And I kind of got into it and focused on researching that sort of pre-internet days. And then was looking around for a name. And really was doing something just to survive. You know, what do you do when you're down your luck? You're at the end of your, you know, the middle of your 40s. Um, you know, you're wondering what to do. What's a quick way in to get back? Ah, oh, restaurant. You know, most, you know, I mean, really looking back on it, what a mad thing to do. You know, start a restaurant of all things. It all fail. And, um, you know, I was lucky and it worked out. But... Um, I was looking around for names, and I remember having a piece of paper and writing Sushi Circus and Sushi Circle and Sushi This and Sushi That. And there was a girl who used to come into my office called uh, Lika, Lika Siklatira. And she used to come out after being up at a rave all night, and you'd go, how are you doing, Lika? And she'd go, yo, yo. You know, which kind of came from black culture, I suppose, yeah, originally, and then was picked up by the rave generation. And I thought it was just such a great expression of, you know, um, life and everything. And I did secretly think you could have, you know, lots of things called yo. Mm. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's where the, the name yo came from. And then I later discovered that yo is the formal greeting in Japanese, which was really a surprise. I didn't know that. And, um, and also that after we designed the after Mark Norton, um, who's the guy who designed the logo, who's actually the only guy apart from Andy Warhol who designed more than one Rolling Stones album cover because they were so mm-hmm. demanding. Yeah. And later I discovered that, that the logo, almost exactly as drawn, believe it or not, in Hebrew, people from Jew- Jewish people used to come and say, is, is the owner Japanese? And it almost exactly reads the word. You have to squint a little bit. It almost exactly reads the word Japanese in Japan. So there was a sort of 
spiritual bit of spiritual help going on there. Sounds like a, an intersection of a lot of good fortune all coming together. Yes, good fortune. Truth is, the harder you work, the more that you sweat, the luckier you get. Yeah, I completely, Felix Dennis. I completely agree with yeah, that. Yeah. Um, one of the, the core themes of these uh, podcasts that I'm doing and talking to people like yourself is about not letting our fears or the fear of failure hold us back. Can you recall a time, and maybe it was at the beginning uh, when you were talking about just now, but maybe there's another time that you had to overcome a fear of failure in order to achieve something? No, I mean, fear of failure is with me even today. You know, it's, 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 it's a kind of constant thing. Um, you know, I know that when I, back in 95 when I started working on Yosushi and then I opened Yosushi in 97. And I think that, you know, I got very far researched into it, you know, and I could visualise what was going to happen. And, you know, I believed it. The thing you have to do in order to make something happen is believe it. And I believed it. But, you know, 10% of me believed it wouldn't work. You know, 10% of me feared it wouldn't work at least. You know, that's what woke me up at 4 o'clock in the morning on a grey winter's day. And so, you know, I've always had that. And actually, it's a very, very useful thing, fearing failure, because, you know, it means that you're very thorough. You know, you can get... The trouble with fail, being fearing failure is you can get very bogged down and it can be debilitating if it, you allow it to get into you and rule you. But the fact that you think something could go wrong is, you know, very, very useful because it means you cross every dot, cross every tie, you think it right through. But ultimately, you rise above that. But if you think you've got something good or you quit and cut bait, you know, you rise above it. But even today, you know, certainly opening restaurants in the early days of Yo Sushi, you know, every one you opened, you know, there was a fear of failure. And in fact, some did fail, you know, and you knew pretty early on. Um, but I'll tell you a story about failure. I used to... Um, you know, when I was first at Yosushi, I, I kind of thought I had the design skills and, you know, I thought I could create it and everything, but I didn't have any really substantial money and I didn't have any track record in the restaurant business and I wanted a big deal site. So I used to go around and every day and look for the money and look for the, you know, see the, all the estate agents. And that was a real exercise in failing because you'd fail every day and get a lot of rejection. You know, it really <laughs> taught you how to do it. But I, everybody, I remember at the time everybody talked about goals. You know, you've got to set your goals and know where you're going and all that. And so I used to set goals. I used to set failure goals. You know, I said, today I'm going to see three estate agents and fail with them. You know, I've got to start somewhere. And three bank or money people and fail with them. And I would really come home at night and I'd punch the air when I'd got six failures in the back, because to be rejected six times, you know, like Edison when he invented the light bulb, you know that if you can be rejected that many times, you're definitely going to succeed at some point. It's just a question of how long you can keep going. Interesting. And I, I, I totally buy into this idea that, um, that 10% of you should almost like be living with fear all the time. It's certainly something which motivates, I think, a lot of people to, uh, to, to, to spur them on and do, do great things. And, um, and uh, you know, talking of which... Challenger brands are, are something that I, that I'm passionately interested in because of the the way that they do things and um, and and how Challenger brands really can become very powerful and desirable in a short space of time and um, iconic in the future. And it's really this idea about change and progress that I, that, that I think is fascinating. 
defining the way forward. So um, in this context, it seems like Yo Sushi, Yotel and Yo Home can be very much seen as quintessential challenger brands. Did you identify a need for change and progress when you launched these brands or was it more intuitive? First of all, what's a challenger brand? A challenger brand is, I think, in our terms, would be a brand which looks to define the new uh, through disruptive and engaging behaviour, create new visual codes, bring something new to to consumers and people that they didn't know that they needed, and and do it on their own terms rather than following the crowd. Well, if you mean did I... Um, was I looking for a gap in the market or did I want to create one? I've never been very good at looking for gaps in the market. Um, I I think I've always done something that pretty much I've always done something that I wanted because then it's really pure. You know, you do something rather than thinking nobody else is doing that, I'm going to nip in there. That's never been my motivation. My motivation has always been um, in the imagination doing something that I thought was really, really exciting to do and that I would want to go to. And I think, you know, I'm sure all sorts of people do things in all sorts of different ways, but that's the only way that I can really do it because otherwise you've got to spend 16, 17, 18 hours a day doing it. And it's the only way that I can be really good at something when I really, really want to do it. So um, that's that, I suppose, you know, if that's business, that's my sort of business, you know. Um, so what's the other part of the question? Well, that, that was really, um, it was, was it a conscious uh, decision to yeah. identify yeah. Um, change or, or was it more kind of um, intuitive? And it, so it definitely seems like it's intuitive, but you're sure. saying, I, I like the link that you're making to your imagination. Some people would sort of talk about doing something from the heart, but you're clearly saying it was for me and it was something that, uh, that I felt I could do and that I needed. Yeah, yeah, that's, I think, that's... that's um... That's what I've always done, is just gone out and done. Yeah, I think it's that simple, really. I've just gone out and done. I'm not really... You know, there's there's people in this life, most people, fortunately, who are guided and driven by process. Mm. You know, and they tend to be more educated people. The more you're educated... I left school at 16, so I never had the imagination educated out of me. At 13 and 14, you don't have pro- process. Mm. You just have pure imagination. So when you're thinking up something, there is no limits to what you can actually do. Mm. And I think the, one of the things that happened to me is because I didn't stay through the whole education process and the process of which you sort of have the fear of God put into you that you know when you leave school, it's all going to go terribly wrong unless you toe the line and do everything. I was left a fairly sort of raw imagination which allowed me to think, well, if you want to do that, why shouldn't you do that? Mm. There was lots of people around who would like to come and sit there, well, let's go and do it, rather than let's analyse the market and see it. You know, to run businesses, you actually need process-driven people, which is where I've always been lucky enough to be not so good at doing that on a day-to-day basis. So I had to get other people in to do it. Um, I, I ran the sushi at the beginning, and suppose you tell very early on. But uh, I have run businesses, but you know, it's always it's been a very choppy, changey business. You know, I'd always be changing my mind and stuff. You need process, but mm. to to create things, you need imagination and free flowing. It needs to come out of one mind, and that's why you know it's really great for entrepreneurs because you can just do that. Mm. Um, but for big companies, it's much harder to innovate things because if I 
you know, if I'd done research at the very early days on, do you want to eat raw fish off conveyor belts with robots serving drinks, you know, or, <laughs> you know, even more so with hotels, if you do, you know, do you want to sleep in a 10 square meter room with no natural light? You're not going to get a lot of people saying yes. But when people walked into both of those, they said, what well, I, I think are the magic words, you know, for me, the magic words, which are in terms of innovation, especially, which are, um, this is so obvious why didn't somebody do this before? That's mm. the reaction I'm always looking for. Great. Okay, so we're clearly established as a challenge in mindset with you and, and behind uh, Yo. Often, uh, when we've seen challenge brands grow and how they use design to create um, a real strong sense of identity and expression, mm. it appeals to a, a bigger audience than when they originally started out and can become um, iconic and uh, that's because of the sense of intimacy on a, on, a, on a mass scale. Do you think this is happening within the portfolio of Yo brands that you are becoming iconic, or would you like to have thought, think? Would you like to think that you are becoming iconic? Yes, yeah, it's, it's such a good word, iconic, isn't it? You know, it's very good because it's got goes right back in history. You know, to the icons. Of, um, are we becoming iconic? Um, it's, you know, very often, it, I, I, yes, I mean, the answer is yes, I think we are becoming iconic. And I think uh, certainly in the, at the end of the 90s, you know, Yo Sushi was an icon of that period. You know, it was an icon of, you know, for certain people growing up at that time, that's the thing that they'll always go back and remember. Um, and if an icon is an example of what is... Um, spot on at the time it lived uh yeah i suppose yo sushi could fall into that i'm proud enough to be able to say that and i think yotel probably is now and hopefully yo home will be so and then as a brand yo probably is of this decade or two it's one of the ones that could get in there you know it's probably a hundred others as well um but uh yeah that's that's you see the thing is for me that i always want to do things that are famous there's lots and lots of ways to become successful. You know, I met people who are creative, not creative, good at numbers, not good at numbers, you know, just to find tiny little niches in the market and make loads and loads of money. There's lots of different ways of doing it. My way just happens to be because I was originally in in show business, in theatre, in the rock and roll business, where the fundamental ethic is you are as outrageous, not outrageous, outrageous in a creative sense. You try and be noticed as much as possible and you try and do things boldly so that everybody sits up and watches you. And that's simply what I've learned over the years. So to me, it doesn't feel safe unless everybody's looking at us saying, that's amazing, you've got to go and see that thing. So that's always been my thing, is to try and be very, very noticeable. And therefore, I suppose, if you do that right, and it is what I call classic, you know, it's not very niche. You're trying to do classic things all the time something that can be remembered, then it becomes iconic. And in that sense, yeah, I think we have become iconic. So as we're moving forward, um, we're in a time of massive change, uh, cultural, uh, financial, um, and social. And uh, we're seeing kind of innovations all around, all over the place, and new consumer desires. Um, it is a, a very different world that we're operating in um, now and in the future to the one when you set up um, a decade, decade or, or so ago. Do you feel, as you're looking forward, that there will be anything that particularly challenges um, to you know, the Yo portfolio? Um, you know, I think 
in any business, there will always be competition. What I think I've tried to do with Yo, which is a bit different to most brands and to conventional thinking on brands, is that each of the individual things, let's face it, all we've really had have been great big hits of Yo Sushi and Yo Tell. Hopefully Yo Home's coming along. We had Yo Japan, the clothing range that most people came and went, most people forgot. We had Yo Below the Bars, which people do remember. Um, and we had Yo-How, and we had a few bits and pieces. But all of them could have lived on their own. And certainly in terms of the design and the graphics, I've always kept them. They're quite different looks to a lot of them, and they've all had their own character. They've got a few things in common, I hope. I think they've got you know all the usual attributes of young brands. You know They're fun and a bit cheeky and challenge things. Um, they are also all of them, you know, I think really innovative. You know, what I want people to do is if we go into something, they go, oh, that's been done by, yeah, we've got to, got to go and have a look at least what that's doing. You know, that is really, really interesting. So um, what was the question again? Was um, anything that you feel is a particular challenge to the, yeah. to the, so, to the um, Yo So, empire? yeah, so, so the brands are all different and they all live alone and they've all got their own competitors and so each one of them fights off their competitors and tries to be the leader in their own field. And um, so, yes, lots of people will, will come along. I think that by having a family of brands, you know, they do help each other out. The traditional thinking in the old days anyway was you want to be very careful doing that because if one goes down, it takes the rest down. But by the same token, if you can make them all good, they build each other up and people start to believe in them. So I think there is a safety in being in a family of brands rather than being alone by yourself. Oh, that's interesting. And and you you mentioned that you that you felt that they all had a different um, design aesthetic. I mean, I I would argue there's actually a a common DNA um, thread through your certainly your brand identities, um, and it seems to have always played a key role in certainly your living concepts like Yo Home and Yo Hotel. And we're sitting here in your cabin of a well-designed um, uh, houseboat. So um, can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration around these well-designed and functional um, spaces? For example, is it the efficiencies of a, of a cabin experience that does something to you um, and why it's relevant to future living? Sure. OK, well, um, you know, there's two things. One is the design of the brand that I was talking about, that, that they're a little bit different. And yes, I think definitely they have a theme going through and they come from the same mind at the very very beginning and it, once you set something in it can it can expand that way but in terms of design um certainly for yo sushi i drew all the all the first yo sushis myself and um um and yo tell the same and uh yo home the same um and my influence has always been from a very young boy I went on a sailing holiday and a narrowboat holiday, and I was very into boats. And I remember from a very young boy just planning space on boats and being just totally into boats. And um, I think I simply took that interest in space and drawing and took it into everything else. And the big influences for me have been... um, you know, everything from super yachts to narrow boats, you know, so boats have been a big influence. And Japan's been a really big influence. I thought Japan was, you know, the most different place on earth and you mm. just saw things just, you know, staggering, mm. you know, very big influence that opened my mind. 
and I was always interested in all forms of transport, you know, trains, and I, I'll go on websites and look at all the different trains interior for sleeping carriages, very interested in aeroplanes and, you know, luxury travel, and not, not luxury is the wrong word, but, you know, how to use spaces really, really well, and automotive design. So all of those things have been enormous influences on me. And where might we see uh, Yo Homes um, in the future? Well, Yo Homes, I hope will. You know, I hope Yo Homes will be sort of bigger than anything, really, because um, a lot of the big brands, you know, a lot of big fashion brands, you hear talk of going into hotels, you know, and I'm sure there'll be all sorts of hotels designed. You know, it's a very good way to do stylish things. Um, and I think homes are the next one. So, you know, hopefully I'm going to jump ahead and get in, you know, people living in branded homes, living in a branded car, living going a branded plane, living in a branded this and that. And But, you know, branded in the sense that, you know, they've got a, got a style and a feel to them and you're proud of being part of them. You're proud of being part of that club. Mm. Um, so, I, you know, hopefully your homes will be all over the place. But, you know, I have all sorts of ideas for, you know, what we what we could do and where we could put them, you know, from... You know, from going to, I'd love to take Yo Home back to Japan, but I always said I'd like to take Yo Sushi back to Japan and Yo Tell, and we haven't done that yet. Um, I'm very interested in, uh, well, floating islands I got into, and I started thinking about what one could do. Well, here I live on the Thames, so I've been thinking about um, putting a floating island um, higher up on the Thames here and putting, you know, hotels or a home or restaurants in the middle of the river. And so we all go backwards and forwards um, out there. But I think, you know, just trying to do different things, you know, because I'm 60 now, so, you know, there's only a certain amount of time left. And I mean that in the most positive way. You know, it's a really great thing that happens when you get into your 50s. Certainly into your mid-50s, you start to think, well, I've only got so much time. And you want things to happen reasonably quickly, you know, so you can enjoy them. <laughs> so it's a real call to action. So it's a really, you know, you see a lot of people, like Conrad did a lot of stuff when he was older. And um, it, it's a lot of, you know, it's a really good time to, to, to get things going. In a way, you're sort of preempting sort of one of my um, okay. uh, <laughs> penultimate questions, which okay. is feels like Yo um, hasn't been maximised yet, and there's a, and there's a lot more to come from from the, you know the Yo stable. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, is it, it? My question was, and I think you've answered it. You know, are you constantly thinking about new things to take the brand, or is there anything maybe unexpected, left field that maybe you know, we wouldn't be well, thinking about from uh, you? Yeah, <coughs> interesting question. Remember that I started Yo, um, you know, Yo Sushi, um, you know, I think it was probably in my mind always destined or the dream was that it could be in lots of different things, but it just happened to be a sushi bar in its first manifestation. And one of the things I did do, of course, was you look around and you see who's trying to do stuff like this. And obviously Virgin is the big one and, and Easy and then the Extreme Group. There's very, very few people who try to take a brand to lots of different things. And... Um, I learned a lot from um, Virgin because they were in a million different things, you know, and you, you saw them going to Coca-Cola and vodka and brides, you know, and it was easy to see it from afar. But at the time, I did think to myself, I'm not sure about that. And of course, true to form, I think he was up to about 200 different things at one point, and now he's down to half a dozen. Yes. And then I watched uh, what Stelios did, and Stelios was very ambitious to do lots and lots of different things. And funnily enough, um, when he was going, he, and, you know, obviously EasyJet's been the successful one. Um, so I really learned do less. And at that time, the steadiest time, I was looking at 
you know, really going to a merchandising company and looking at how we could license the brand in all sorts of different areas. And thank goodness I didn't, because, you know, we've had hopefully coming up for three hits and we've had a couple of, you know, things that have done well and we've closed down and a couple that haven't been hits at all. So we've done a bit ourselves, but doing less and doing it slowly has been my style mm. and it's worked for me. But the time goes by and maybe I've got a chance to do one or two more things in my period and I'm already looking at succession and how that could work. So maybe Yo just doesn't, is just going to grow solidly and slowly over a long period of time. And maybe it's the second generation or, you know, even the third generation that it'll grow into. But hopefully it will grow over a long time. It'll be here for the next hundred years and it'll grow over that period. And I think it's quite a nice legacy for me as I get older to just see the potential for that and to see how that could happen. Mm, no boom and bust. Yeah, exactly. Um, just returning to this theme about luxury, um, we, we know that you're a big proponent of luxury, but, but without all the cost associated with it and, and how people can enjoy that in a in a maybe a more democratic way. Um, but there's obviously been big changes in the world of luxury and, um, and affluence and influences Asia and, uh, and so on. What is your personal definition of luxury and how do you see that expressing itself for people in the future? Well, I think I've listened to a lot of people because for me, luxury is rather an ugly word. Um, it's ugly in the sense that I think that in several hundred years' time, people will look back at us in our age and say, how could they allow people to starve on earth when we were living, the other part were living in luxury? So in that mm. sense, and yet there is a complete denial in myself because if I really truly believed that, I'd stop doing everything and go and help other people. So the two things have got to be equated and hopefully I do help other people a bit. Um, so I don't really like luxury and super luxury, but what I do like the idea of is giving to everybody what rich people have. Now, obviously, everybody isn't everybody. It kind of is going to start filtering down. But that is what's going to happen over the period of time, that everybody aspires to the people above them and they want a bit more. And if you could be a brand that does that, and I, hopefully that's what we'll do. But to do that, you have to um, use sort of what I call quantum leaps. You know, have to be clever about that. With the Yo Home, we're doing these moving parts so you can have a much smaller area and yet it appears to be much bigger like rich people have. Mm. You know, we bought sushi to the masses. Mm. You know, Yo Hotel's got the, the smaller rooms but they've got everything you have in a four-star hotel. And hopefully that's our little niche to really to do exactly that, to give to everybody what rich people have. That's very inspiring. And, um, and, and, and talking about that, uh, just to, to, to wrap up, you've, be, you've achieved an awful lot, as we've just learned, and, we, and you can read all about it um, in, in the media. And um, you've achieved, uh, I think, a lot of recognition and congr congratulations on that um, from your peers. But also the ordinary, ordinary man in the street, um, I think, has recognised what you've done. What is the single most important bit of advice you would give to people with a dream or entrepreneurs um, starting... Um, out um, looking for investment and, and taking their idea to the high street? Well, I think we live in an age where um, we've seen it with our kids growing up. You know, they come out of school and it is so hard, whether you've got a degree or anything, to get on the first rung of the ladder and get into, into the world. So in many ways, I would say we live in an age where it is as secure to start something of your own 
as it is to go into something of somebody else's. And you see a lot of young kids, you know, starting businesses, certainly starting businesses on the internet and their friends help them and they help each other. And it's become the new culture. One of the things that happened, you know, 20 years ago is the entrepreneur became a cool word. And out of that stemmed all the television programs that happened about entrepreneurs. And before that, it was considered a very ugly word. We were considered sort of rip-off merchants who went around making money at the expense of other people. Today, it's aspirational. You know, kids are growing up in the playground saying, what do you want to be as a pop star or a film star mm. or an entrepreneur? It's pretty cool. So um, I think people believe that it's possible to go out and do things. So what I say to people is, you know, if you really have got an idea, you know, start it and start it now, but you don't have to give up everything. All you have to do to start an idea is to get a notebook out and start making notes and start acting as if you're going to do something along that, those lines. And it's a long time before you have to give everything else up. Um, you know, I used to tell people, they used to say, what's your best piece of advice? And I said, well, get rid of your TV. You know, it creates an awful lot more time in the day. You can still go to work and then you can still have your idea and start developing it. And that is what's great about young people starting things nowadays because they're very helpful to each other. You know, so, yeah. oh, I'll help you with that. There's no question of any money coming into it yeah. and there's no deals and no, there's not that defensiveness, certainly of my youth, for what do I get out of it? Yeah. You know, I'm going to spend a bit of time. There's an enthusiasm that comes. Um, so I think you could just start something by just by buying a pocket notebook and starting to make some notes. I used to um, set myself some missions. You know, I said, you've got three months to do research on this. An interesting period of time, three months, because it's nearly 100 days, and you sort of chip off a little bit every day, and at the end of three months, suddenly you've got, you know a great deal about something. Because you have to almost delude yourself into believing that what you're doing is real. Because how could you ever know at the beginning whether you were really going to do it? Mm. You know, most, for most people, certainly starting out, you know, your brain needs to... You know, your brain is sort of sitting there going, uh, excuse me, you know, I want a little bit of security in this world or that's going to go wrong. You know, you've got to just train it so it starts to believe what you're going to do. And when you really believe something, then you can, you know, you can do lots. That's absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much, Simon Woodruff, for spending some time with us today. And I'm sure you've inspired a lot of people to go out and fill their notebooks with their great ideas. Thank you very much. Pleasure.